Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. On this episode, it's Blake Alexander, the funny car winner in Norwalk, Lauren Freer, who doubled up, and Brittany Force. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Brittany's been nominated for an SB, Blake won funny car, and Lauren Freer was the first woman in history to double up. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is a packed NHRA insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. It's Brian Loans with the NHRA Insider, our post-Norwalk show. Three big guests today. This is going to be fantastic. Blake Alexander, the emotional winner of Nitro Funny Car. First time in his career he's won in Funny Car at Norwalk. Lauren Freer will be on the show today. Lauren won Super Comp and Super Gas, becoming the 30th person in NHRA history to double up and the first woman to ever turn the feet. And then our third guest will be Brittany Force the defending world champion and top fuel driver of the Monster Energy Flavor Pack top fuel car. We're going to talk about her SB nomination, talk about her season, and talk about a bunch of different and interesting elements about her career and her evolution as such. Um, this was a heck of a race in Norwalk. It always is. The place never lets us down. Always have to do something with the weather. Always have to do something wild at night. It seems like... Um, it seems like it's a yearly occurrence, and, and one of these years, it's going to go smooth end to end, and we won't have any interruptions, but uh, we roll with the punches, uh, so to speak, with this place, and we do it because of the great dedicated fans, fans that stuck around till very late on Friday night to watch a qualifying session that some people thought would never happen, uh, fans that stuck around until midnight plus on Saturday night where sportsman racers were being pushed to their limits and being run out because of a threatening weather forecast on Sunday, and fans that did turn out on Sunday in great numbers despite the fact that the forecast was looking, um, let's call it less than stellar. Um, speaking of Saturday night, uh, not going to go too far down this road, but it was a very uh, eventful night in the world of NHRA drag racing on, on Saturday evening in the pits at Summit Racing Equipment Motorsports Park. This is a sport that is built on tension. This is a sport that is built on one-on-one competition. This is a sport that is built on conflict. And occasionally, those things uh, move beyond helmeted race car drivers in funny cars or dragsters or pro mods or what have you. Uh, sometimes it, it lends itself to some adventure, adventuresome times in the pits, and, and that's what happened. And a lot of this stuff happened in the alcohol uh, alcohol. Uh, pit area, whether it was Top Alcohol Drags or a funny car. I, I believe even a Promod team was involved, but there were multiple scuffles, uh, maybe beyond scuffles, in the pits on Saturday night. And out of deference to many of the people involved, I'm going to probably leave names out of this. Um, uh, I think they've probably already had chats with the powers that be and may have some repercussions coming their way anyway. But I think it's an interesting thing to talk about, and I know that there are so many people that will, you know, kind of clutch the uh, clutch their pearls or or kind of nervously stare out the window or decry, you know, oh my God, people fighting, it's the worst possible thing, and this isn't what drag racers do. And come on, uh, yes, it is. Um, it is not every day. That's why it becomes kind of a news story and becomes kind of a whoa wow moment when you have this this overriding passion whether it's dislike for other people whether it's anger at something happened on the racetrack or whether it's you know that the, the noise that somebody's generator is uh is making um 
It is it is a sport where people are here to win, and they're not necessarily here to make friends. And I don't know why that's a bad thing or why a lot of people get panic-stricken about that. But I am not condoning, uh, you know, everybody throwing hands at each other or, or what have you. But what I am condoning is an idea that the intensity of competition in this sport is real. And as human beings, when things happen that make you very angry, uh, whether they are happen on the racetrack or they happen in the pit area itself or whatnot, sometimes sometimes these things get settled the old-fashioned way with some, you know, some frontier justice. And it is not the first time. I guarantee it's not going to be the last time. And I think it, it is, let's be honest, it's, it's kind of juicy. It's kind of juicy when we get this uh, kind of stuff going on. I don't want to see it every week. I don't want to see anybody, you know, with their face halfway halfway turned into a silly putty. Um, but the idea that the idea that people care enough to be this passionate about it and to to yeah to throw down multiple times apparently over the course of Saturday night is a in my opinion a sign that is a positive thing. If nobody cared that much, something like this would never happen. If nobody cared that much, you would never hear about teams getting together like this. There is uh, uh, there was a great editorial about baseball. Uh, it's a video that was out years ago, and I can no longer find it because I was going to try to pull some audio from it, but it seems to be gone. And what it talked about was that modern baseball lacks menace, um, and the menace being uh, the idea that the people playing the game um, were there to win, regardless of what the other team's thought process was. It was they were not there to make friends. They were not there to uh, celebrate uh, the relationship between the two teams. They were there to kick some ass and they were there to leave. And so the idea, um, the idea that this menace is an important part of baseball that it needs to have back, is the same in drag racing. And menace is not physical threats. Menace is not, you know, destruction of people's property, blah, blah, blah. But what I am saying is that this this menace, when we see teams get together again on the racetrack after what we saw the other night, and uh, let me just throw some hypotheticals out there. Like, the next time we see, I don't know, Madison Payne race Jackie Frick, the next time we see, um, the next time we see, uh, Rich McPhillips or a McPhillips car um, racing against Taylor Vetter. Uh, just as th- just you know, throwing it out there, just as random names. There's going to be more eyeballs and more people leaning in on those pairs and those cars because of why? Because you know it goes deeper than what's just going to happen on the racetrack. Because you know it has some depth and it has a little bit of menace. And listen, we saw it years ago in pro stock. There was the the gray team and the elite people got together in that big scrum. I think it happened in Houston. Um, it was less eventful than what happened on Saturday night in the pits at Norwalk, I can tell you that. But it was this uh, this thing that happened that, again, when they raced, when Alex Laughlin came up or any of the – at the time he was driving an elite car, when any of them came up to the starting line against Tanner or one of the gray motorsports cars, everybody paid more attention because it means more. And you're not going to have that with every pair, every round, but we need more of that in our sport. And it, again, it's not, we don't need, we don't need more fist fighting in the pits, but we need more of an idea that it is not, um, it is not happy town 
it's not just this traveling circus where the you know the 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 lion tamer hangs out with the uh with that tightrope walker that's not it's not what it is you know as as much as racing is a community it is a supportive sport i kind of want it all because i still want that i want that tight-knit community which we continue to see when a racer needs something and i don't just mean parts when a racer needs something on a personal level there are always people there to circle the wagons for them that we cannot lose that is defined drag racing as much as competition that goes beyond the racetrack or personal feelings that go beyond the racetrack has defined drag racing why did everybody love watching richard tharp race shirley muldowney in the 70s and 80s you know why because they knew that both people really didn't like each other and that translated right on down the line why did why do people like to see uh you know teams that have changed crew chiefs or teams that have changed whatever why do we like to see that why was for many years why was a huge matchup when leah and sean langdon still a big matchup they're still premier drivers but why was it such a big deal when sean langdon and leah got together well it's because there was ill will there i don't even know if it's totally subsided but there was ill will there the way that the way that one person was was out of a car and another person was in a car and that's that was there was some menace there there was a knowledge that these two people were not into it they were not into hanging out they were not into they were not going to get a beer they were not going to get dinner they were not going to be exchanging happy text messages and so that is the thing we need more of and i want more of and my last point on this matter is i know in my mind where this comes from and of course it's rooted in personality right that's that's one of the things but in terms of drag racing where does this come from why does this become such a tension-filled situation and there's two words car count look at how many alcohol dragsters we had on the property i think there was 23 cars trying to qualify for 16 spots i mean if you don't look at top alcohol dragster in 2023 even the last few years and not see a class that is in a complete and utter renaissance with more talent more youth frankly more dough coming into it than it's had in many many years and you don't understand how the tensions boil over in the pit area mostly among top alcohol dragster teams then i can't help you because the dream scenario for a guy like me is that we have in every professional category i'm going to say 20 let's say 20 to 22 20 to 22 good cars showing up every week i'll take 100 cars sure but if i want to make a dream scenario for me and this idea of menace and this idea of intensity and this idea of what causes things like happen saturday night at norwalk in the pits give me 20 to 22 good cars 20 to 22 that i know can qualify 8 to 10 that i know have a shot to win the race because that's reality 22 aren't going to have a shot to win the race and all these all the the personality type stuff starts to really handle itself because it becomes so intense that you have no choice but to be on the chip you have no choice but to be utterly focused on your own operation you have no choice to do whatever it takes to win to qualify damn the rest of them and that 
when we talk about the you know the old days of drag racing when we talk about the older days of drag racing before the sport really truly professionalized itself before it rose to the level of a true 100 percent big league pro motorsport and you had the march meet with 128 top fuelers showing up and you had the lions drag strip meets with 50 or 60 of them there there are umpteen billion stories of people whacking each other with torque wrenches and going after it, you know, hammer and tong in the pits because of what that meant to qualify, to simply get in the show. That was tension. That was menace. And that was exactly that translation to Norwalk. That same thread runs through this sport. But once you have enough cars and you have enough good cars that everybody becomes a threat, then everybody gets up on edge. And then this 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 happy-go-lucky attitude melts like a snowball in a furnace. Because you can't be that way to succeed anymore. You can't. So, you know, hey, look, uh, like I said, I, I, I'm not advocating of people whacking each other around or whatever. But to me, it's a bellwether. And it's a bellwether of competition. It is a bellwether of intensity. And it is a bellwether of what happens when a class like is happening at Top Alcohol Dragster over the last couple of seasons and continues to kind of incrementally happen now, achieves a status where you have such great talent behind the wheel, such great talent behind the tune-up, and such great talent on the wrenches servicing the car, the total package begins to come together. And that's exactly what's happening there. It's why things got wild on Saturday night, and uh, maybe it's an unpopular opinion, um, but, you know, hey, kids, you know, Drink your milk and say your prayers and don't hit anybody. Um, but maybe sometimes you have to. Sorry? Not sorry. It was awesome. So um, the sanctioning body, I'm sure, will we'll, we'll deal with that however they want to deal with it. None of my business on that front. Um, but it, it has become a very talked about element of what happened on Saturday night. Not from the fans. The majority of our fans and maybe a lot of you listening to the show had no idea it even happened. But it's one of those things that happens within the walls of the sport, within the fences, that to me, yeah, it's a little ugly, but also it validates that drag racers are still drag racers. And I love it. So there you have it. Congratulations to Hector Rana Jr. for the Pro Stock Motorcycle win. Matt Harford drove a brilliant race to get his first Pro Stock win of the year. We're going to talk to Blake Alexander. And how about Leah Pruitt? Coming into the Mile High Nationals, Leah Pruitt and her, t- her entire team came together she drove a solid race car was on point neil strasbaugh mike damagala the whole operation really clicking there and clicking at the right time they want to they need to come into that last mile high nationals at bandamere of course it's the dodge power brokers mile high nationals and score what would be a monumental victory for them they've done it before and they want to do it again as does matt hagan so uh, we are going to be right back. When we come back, we're going to talk to Blake Alexander, who is uh, a guy who uh, I think maybe still has a little bit of glow on him. It's a few days later, making the show Wednesday after the race, but I think there's still a little bit of that funny car driver glow on him. Stay with us. We'll be right back here at the NHRA Insider. All right, welcome back to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Our first guest this week, driver of the head contractors, Prano Auto Service Center and Parts Authority Ford Mustang, your champion in funny car for the first time from Norwalk, Blake Alexander. How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me on. I am uh, doing great. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I know it's uh, been a, a happily hectic week for you. Has the uh, has your phone calmed down yet? Because I know it was probably melted into a puddle by the time you got home after the race. <laughs> yeah, today is day one. Um, 
a little bit of normalcy and I'm enjoying it, but also uh, I'm very much just working and living my life normally. Nothing's really changed. <laughs> the fame and fortune hasn't showed up on your doorstep yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, life is good, though. So, you know, I don't, I don't even know where to start here. Um, uh, maybe we just started that at the beginning. You know, I think we talk about teams putting in work and, and testing and trying to do that kind of advancing themselves and that's what you guys did last week you guys went to indianapolis and tested made five runs in a day how much of any effect did that test have on what we saw happen sunday um it, it's interesting you asked me that because jim and i actually had like a conversation earlier this year in vegas about testing and he was telling me how each run you know helps them and gets them to a point and I don't know, I just necessarily was listening to him and hearing him. And, uh, yeah, those runs we made all kind of got us to that point. He was correct. And uh, the assessment of it was basically just that we were building on something that allowed us to, to stumble upon, you know, a good run. And uh, it was kind of built upon with knowledge and also uh, an educated guess, I guess you would say, about what the best thing to do was going into the semis. Sure. And I think, look, I, I think um, when we talk about tuning a nitro car, there is – I think that element comes into it to me for everybody on every run. I mean, there's no way I think even whoever you want to name, Proc, Venables, any of these guys, would tell you that they're 100% certain every time it goes up to the racetrack that XYZ is going to happen. So the knowledge combined with the educated guess, I, I bet, is pretty much the par for the course for any any tuner of a funny car. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, obviously we are happy with the result. and I try on race day to not get too involved in what's going on with the car, but I've been doing this long enough that I can kind of understand when, and when you drive funny cars, it's pretty obvious when people are getting into the clutch can in front of you and, you know, get into the box. So it's just, it's uh, something you want to drown out as a driver, but also something that definitely gets you licked up when you know you're trying to, when you're trying to run fast and you, you know, like just these competitors you're competing against in funny car, uh, I've said this to people before, and like in top field, there's great drivers as well, but there's just a lot of top to bottom really good drivers and funny car that I would say they don't really, uh, you know, blink, I guess, like Hagen or JR. There's certain guys that uh, kind of put you in a different area. Robert, um, I guess, Bob Tasca, too, you know, everyone kind of puts you in an area where you got to try hard. It makes sense. And and regarding one last question on the test, the fact that you guys turned that car, you made five runs, so you turned it four times. Was that a good drill for the crew? Because you know, let's be let's be honest, they didn't have to. They've not had to do that on a race day this year so far. So for them to be able to turn the car over the course of a four run race day, did that test session and that that drill of the five runs help that process? <laughs> I haven't really thought about that, but I think yeah, it probably did. I mean, I don't think it was very fun while we were doing it, and you know, making four or five runs and it is a lot of work, but. Without the adrenaline of going rounds, you know, it's different too. So we, uh, yeah, I think that it definitely helped. And I think we we could kind of tell after the second round that things were just going smoothly. Uh, Leahy wasn't having to help as much. Now he, he was definitely helping a lot and doing things that he is outside of the realm of things he would normally be doing. Uh, but it was just, you know, it was going a little bit smoother. It wasn't like, you know, the year we went to the final sure. at Gainesville and we showed back up the first time and had a bunch of people who had never really drag raced before and Jim and Dave and myself and my wife and everyone was chipping in in a manner. It was, it was just a smooth, nice process and it was nice to see that the boys were gelling 
and uh, it was nice that uh, our results were going uh, the way they were as well. You know, we talk about a run that may kind of defines a race or a run that defines a win, and as much as the final round did, and we'll talk about that, that semifinal 392 was something that, you know, you make the run, and both Tony and I looked at each other and went, whoa, okay. And, you know, Tony talks about it about, about it more, and I've become – more understanding of it but it's this you kind of find your reach like a boxer finding his jab like how 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 can he set up his opponent and as far as a single run that can move beyond an event is that 392 a run that can help this team kind of chart a a a different course or a better course than than you'd been on yeah and we look forward to showing people that in seattle when we show back up and in sonoma um I definitely think that that's the case. Yeah. Uh, we, we have to show people that. Sure. And uh, we, you know, just we just need to go out and do the work to make that happen. And although I do think that uh, some of the conditions we'll be seeing will be similar to what we saw on Sunday and some of the track tents. And uh, actually, some of the racetracks will be good, just like the Summit Motorsports Park facility was on Sunday. You had, you had an incredibly raw and fantastic um, top end. It was great. It was. It was. It was really was. And and we were still talking about it, you know, on our production side of things because it was. It was a lot of pent up everything that was being released at one. I mean, you're radiating energy. It was wild. And you know, one of the things I'm so interested in is, let's say, 30 seconds before that or less, you're on a starting line next to Matt Hagen, and you're going to execute this run. Where does all that get put away from? Because you cannot have that. The mindset you had climbing out of the car, you cannot bring that to the starting line, I would guess, right? Uh, I just was trying to lead the charge kind of like with being focused, you know. And even after the first round, I told the guys that we had three more, you know, yep. and that we, we needed to stay focused and not make a mistake, all of us together. And uh, I was kind of still right there, you know, and Jim and I talked before the final and we weren't really going to change too much. So I could just go up there and kind of push and try harder. I actually, to be honest with you, I was in the final in Atlanta in like 2018 in top fuel. Yeah. And I got all funky and like rolled the car in. And I, I had been one of the best drivers all day, staging shallow with 50, 60 lights, leaving first on all, everyone I raced against. And then when I rolled it in, I had like a 006 red light. And uh, so in this final, I just went up there. And then it kind of actually affected me, you know, in the other finals I was in. I just, I mean, like I like had an 80 light or something, never was that sharp. But in this one, I could go up there and kind of just learn from that and go up there and be really aggressive against someone who has beaten me since I was like 16 or something. I've raced against him and his dad, you know. I would race him at motor mile dragway and he would be in the motor mile car and, you know, qualified well and do really well. And then going, uh, he went into Pro-Mod racing and did that like on a big time level. And my career kind of meandered into different paths while I was in college. And then we met back up in funny car again and he still had, you know, he was very well established and kind of took, I honestly think like I've been driving funny cars now for, I guess like 12 or 13 years. I think he made funny car racing different by, the way he drove and how he drove and you know just implemented like a new yeah uh curiosity for drivers to see how well they could do on the starting line in a fuel funny car without cheating the lights and without being someone who's doing it you know 
backwards. <clears throat> no, it makes sense, and and that's kind of an interesting perspective. I hadn't I hadn't thought of it that way before. But if you look back at his career, you're absolutely right. Like that was, I think, one of the early signs of him. One of the early signs that he was going to be somebody was this ability to kind of not a be overtaken by the moment and b not maybe fall into some of those traps that you're talking about where um trying to use trying to use the car to make up for something he didn't think he could do himself he clearly had a lot of confidence in that thing and he drove like it right off the bat yeah yeah honestly that's what i've told a bunch of my pet competitors that know me well is that i felt that pressure and then i felt in 2018 in top fuel when jim made that run and then we were kind of i mean we were still tweaking some stuff, but we were kind of in a gas and go situation after we made that run. And then that put the pressure back on me, you know, where yeah. it's like, don't mess this up, dude. Like, <laughs> and, and we thought they were going to fire their shot too. You know, we didn't know that like that guy could run really, he could run, he could have run better than that. They just didn't, you know, and they, um, obviously, you know, maybe they didn't need to push us hard against us because we haven't always made, a perfect run in the situations when we needed to. I don't know. So, uh, but it was our day, and we got to keep doing it, or else it doesn't mean much because these things kind of sit around and collect dust, as you guys saw with my other, my, my other two trophies I won. And that's one of the questions I have for you. In that, you were emotional when you got your first top fuel win, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It wasn't ten percent of what we saw on Sunday. And and is that because of life experience? Is that because of you know everything that you've done from 18 to, to now i mean it, your track from your, your you know and and, and i'm just it's interested it, i'm interested yeah. in that i mean i mean like my best friend on the team died uh and was a young promising man and uh you know like i i had blown up there at that racetrack and left that racetrack dejected and you know had to rebuild my race car with uh, Timmy and Daniel and all of them, and then we showed back up to Sonoma and made good runs and run runs and stuff like that. It was always like my career has always been there's there's been some deep dark holes that I've climbed out of, and I've never said a word about it to anyone online. I've never said a word to really anyone about it because all I did was just work to get out of the situation I was in, in fuel racing, and that's the part of fuel racing, you know. So uh, once I uh, kind of achieved what I had achieved, which ever since I was a young little kid, I wanted to win in funny car. I didn't really dream of winning in top fuel. I know that sounds bad, but that doesn't sound bad. It doesn't sound bad at all. It sounds, it sounds real. So I, I won that class. And when I signed up to go over there, I had, I had like dreams and visions of like leaving really well and handing Jim the trophy and we ran well and all the work we'd done meant something. And that actually was happening. I mean, it didn't exactly happen. I didn't expect two people to red light against me and then us to start ripping and all this other crazy stuff. But uh, I don't know. We were just steady all day and then ended up being the best car, the best funny car in the United States in the finals. And that was the end of the story. So let's let's play a game of alternate reality here. Let's say let's say it didn't go your way in the final. As 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 much energy as you expelled that we saw in a positive fashion would there have been as much energy on the other side of that spectrum or yeah yeah, yeah. Well, so jim and i want to win and jim and jim's wife even said like honestly one of the coolest parts that i don't think anyone even really realizes like jim's wife and my wife and like the women that put up with all of our stuff you know that that's that's kind of why i said that on tv like to to be a 
married to someone who does this and uh, cares about it the way we do and also is constantly a little bit undergunned against large race teams yeah. like John Force and this and that. It's it's kind of a thankless little situation that you're in and uh, they have, you know, my I, I could picture nights where my wife was there at 3 a.m. and the body's upside down and we're fixing stuff or this, you know, and I'm sure Jim has, and Tammy had moments like that as well and it was cool just to see, you know, them get to have that moment and I care about them, you know, and enjoy working with them and always have kind of tried to just keep keep encouraging and keep things going well, uh, even when things weren't going that well. And I always kept believing that we'd be able to dig out of the hole. You were almost <laughs> repeating it like a mantra um, when you get out of the car and, and how, how bad you wanted it. And, you know, Bill Bader hands you the hands you the, the ice cream scoop and and we actually caught it with our our microphones it's kind of natural sound and, and even in that moment he kind of put his arm around you and, and you said to him i wanted it so bad and to me that was a very endearing thing i i don't think anybody doesn't appreciate winning but i think when somebody when somebody just when it's coming out of them and 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 you were not stopping anything that was coming out of you in that afternoon and and to just to say i wanted it so bad there's there was a there's a very big honest moment in saying that right it's like this isn't something that just is a thing for me i wanted it so bad yeah well and that's the thing is it's not i didn't think of like i don't want to be cocky or anything but i want to keep doing this and like the last time i won that race i went and had a good car we went and kept doing that and uh, obviously the team i was with that executed that those guys are super talented remain super close friends and really remain successful and doing really well and they helped my career a great deal and really really were the ones that helped me so much but uh we can do that where i'm at now and we kind of have a beginning you know footprint of it which is we worked on a little bit of consistency and testing when the track gets kind of scary and everyone's just bailing out trying to make it down the thing we kind of started to play around and figure that out and then we also have with our new car, with our new clutch, and with our new crew, kind of figure it out. We need to scoot along on the one track. How we can do that? Now we just have to prove we can keep doing it. What was the first thing? What was the first thing Jim said to you when you saw him after you did your track interview <laughs> and your media? What What was the first uh, thing he said? Uh, he asked me how did I cut that light with <laughs> shallow or something like that, and I don't know. I was just ready to go. I've had some really good, like when I raced Tony Schumacher and beat him on a whole shot in my first ever round, I was just like, I can't explain it. You just get really ready to go and you're not necessarily in sh- deep, you know, you're sitting there in shallow and you cut this light that you didn't even know was possible. But when like there's people in the stadium of some of Motorsports Park, I don't know what to tell you. I like enjoy the way it feels where there's, you know, slamming grandstands on each side and you can feel that eyeballs are on you. And people care that work there, and there's just there's just it was the first place that I ever went to at uh, the night under fire like ten years ago where I felt like I was actually performing, and I kind of knew you were because of John Forrest and other people, yeah. but it was like just it kind of reminds me of that that you're actually doing more than just driving a race car, you're entertaining people. So that makes great sense, and and you know you I know how hard you work behind the scenes, and and it's a it's. Not something that, like you said, you you don't make a scene, which I respect very much. You don't make a scene about uh, making sure you tell everybody how hard you work. Uh, the results speak for themselves. But, you know, 
the relationship you've developed and the work you've put into to being, you know, with Pronto, which has been part of your racing life now for years, this has to have been a, just a crowning moment for you to be able to hand them, you know, it, proverbially hand them this this win is a huge thing. As much as they believed in you and stuck with you, this is the proof in the pudding. <laughs> yeah, like like we need to keep it going, obviously, and uh, we've enjoyed a few days of success. Um, and I was just talking to the crew guys this morning uh, a little bit. You know, the wind is going out of the sails a little bit of adrenaline and all that. So we're getting back to work. We understand what's ahead of us. There's a lot of good race teams that uh, would like another shot at this NHRA drag race. Same thing over the next few months, and we're going to keep showing up and swinging. <laughs> Last question. Have you been more excited in your funny car career than you are thinking about Seattle? Obviously, you guys aren't running Denver. You never run Denver. That's fine. But when we when we look at Seattle, have you looked forward to an event in a funny car as much as you're looking forward to that one? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I always like going to Vegas, but I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was being no. more in the esoteric emotional yeah, no, sense I'm here. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's going to be fun. Uh, I like going up there. Uh, we really do have a huge event, um, and it's pretty cool because there NHRA is one of the last motorsports that comes up there. I know Indy, I think, goes to Portland as well, but yeah. people come from Oregon and all over Washington and flock to Pacific Raceway still as like kind of the beacon of motorsports still with the circle track or you know the road racing course and all the other stuff they have there. So um, yeah, a lot of Pronto customers spend time there playing with their own stuff and then they also like to come there and see the fuel cars run so it'll be fun to go out there well man congratulations it was uh again a a great moment uh not just for you and your career but for you know the million people that were watching when you pulled it off they i think it's important i think you know and one last point i'm going to make is it's when you know we had this usfl uh you know a playoff game coming in behind us which had a big audience so it grew our audience at the end of the show and for somebody that's just casual for somebody that just threw it on 10 15 minutes early to see the way you reacted out of that race car that's the type of stuff that makes people go geez i guess this is a big deal i mean you know if if you were if i was just flipping through the channels and i saw you climbing on top of the car and screaming and yelling this is something that's going to make me stop and watch so um uh, i am appreciative of that yeah it's hard to win in funny car and uh you know, it, it just is, and it, the car's a little, they'll beat you up a little bit more. you got to steer them. They're going to hit stuff every now and then, and they're going to they're gonna beat you down. But uh, we had a good day, and we are appreciative of everyone who supports us, and we are trying to get back to normal. And uh, I, I, like I said, we just are appreciative of everyone. He's Blake Alexander, a Nitro Funny Car winner and the 18th person in NHRA history to score a victory in Top Fuel and Nitro Funny Car. He won, of course, in Norwalk. We'll see him again in Seattle. Blake, thanks for taking the time, man. Right on. Thank you, guys. All right, we're back with our second guest of this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, a woman who had a historic weekend just a couple of days back. We're Wednesday after finishing up the Norwalk National event, and uh, she is calling me from a drag strip again. Lauren Freer, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys? I am uh, I am fantastic. Uh, not better than you, though. So you, so you double up. You win Super Gas and Super Comp, becoming the first woman to ever do it, uh, to double up at a national event, the 30th person in NHRA history. And there's a lot to talk about here, but first off, have you kind of pinched yourself yet in terms of this being a real thing that happened? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> we uh, got to Michigan, and I was looking around on where to put the wallies. <laughs> <laughs> There's no wrong place, right? They go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm like, can I sit them in the front of the motorhome so like everybody sees them that drives by? <laughs> So just to clarify where you're at, you're at US 131, uh, US 131 Motorsports Park in Martin, Michigan. You're running at the SFG Million this week. And so let's talk a little bit about that because not that everybody didn't know your name before. You've had a long, decorated career from junior dragsters, multiple national event wins, multiple big money wins. But rolling in after doing what you did to that event is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, I, you know, sometimes I kind of feel like bracket racers don't really follow the nhra sure. deal um but it's uh they're actually having a super comp race here this weekend um and we ran first round this morning and i actually have the buy into the finals <laughs> <laughs> see playing the hot hand and that's yeah. one of the things that's one of the things i want to talk to you about and i want i want to help our our listeners understand the difficulty in in what you did it's one thing to say oh well she went out one two classes but people maybe don't understand that how you had to do this in that the eliminations were wild. You, you ran the majority of the race on Saturday up until about midnight on Saturday night and they had planned to finish it. And then they stopped and you had to wait until the next day to run these finals. So if you could talk to me a little bit through that in terms of ma- maintaining the mental focus, not only for a very long day racing through the day and into the night, but then carrying that to the next day, it has to be nearly impossible. It was pretty rough. I think we went to bed at 2 a.m. that morning, um, and it was, uh, you know, I was I was kind of excited that we were going to finish, and then yeah. when they said that we weren't going to finish, um, I was, I was kind of like, well, at least I'm racing on Sunday, because it's been probably, I, I think I maybe won like three rounds at a national event last year. Jeez. So, to... I was kind of excited about being able to race on Sunday too. And um, and that's something that's interesting to me too because a season like that has to be incredibly frustrating for somebody who is quite frankly accustomed to winning stuff, you know, if not winning every race you enter, but going more rounds than, than the average bear is something that you've certainly been known for and, and why your name is so widely recognized in this stuff. So how do you get through a year like that where it's just one frustration after the next? It was. It was super frustrating. Um, you know, it. Me and Dad start arguing, and then it turns into. I think I ended up winning, um, the like the national open deal that the Division Two does for us. So I actually won the championship in that and Super Gas last year. Um. Or I can't. I honestly don't even remember. I think it was Super Comp. Super comp, I lied. And um, so, I mean, that kind of made the year a little better since since we, we did at least do some good in that series. Um, but, yeah, having a, a national event year like that is, is very frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and look, and it speaks to how difficult this is to do on on any level. I mean, you look at the entries and the people that you you raced in both categories, and there is not a there is not a weak racer in that bunch. You know, there's not anybody that shows up to one of these things, and really, especially in super gas and super comp, that isn't capable of doing the job. Right. 
how many cars are at the million this week? Because uh, I did that race in 2020, and I think and and I realize there's different races over the course of the weekend. But when you had first round of the Super Comp race that you're now have the buy into the final for, how many cars ran that first round? Um, the Super Comp deal is it was uh, there's only see six cars, and then somebody whoever I was supposed to run didn't show up, so it gave me a broke by first round. So there was only, you know, seven cars, so but there's about I think almost three hundred cars here this weekend. Yeah. For the actual bracket race. Yeah, for the actual bracket race. And again, these are these are not necessarily household names to a typical NHRA fan, but there are many people among <clears throat> that three hundred that make their living doing this. That this is how they this is how they feed themselves. And it's kind of a crazy thing to think about. Um, but it's the truth. It's it is a very, very deep field. Yeah, it was, uh, I think we finished right, or I lost at 11 cars last night, the 20, and it was 10.30 by the time we finished last night. (laughs) How are you, there are some racers that are, like for instance, David Rampey, one of the greatest of all time, but was not a guy that raced very well at night. And he was he was much better in the daytime than the nighttime. And there's something about you know that adjustment that you have to make, which you made so very successfully uh, in Norwalk. Talk a little bit about, to people about that adjustment versus daytime versus nighttime how do you change the setup of the car how do you change anything you do to compensate well like you said we don't race a lot at night um except for bracket racing and i was you know getting further into the night um at norwalk i was i was getting a little nervous and i was you know i texted ray miller the third and i was like you know what do i need to do and i was texting luke bogacki it's like yeah. i need help <laughs> um and I, I went up and looked at the tree and it was still actually pretty bright there uh with all the lights and stuff that norwalk has um here it's definitely not as as bright uh last night was i did struggle a little bit last night on the tree um once it got dark so just something i'm gonna have to start compensating for <laughs> You know, you mentioned Johnny Labusa uh, and other interviews and conversations you've had, and and as a guy that was that was kind of a constant for you over the course of this this successful weekend in Norwalk, also a guy you beat. So you know this this community you mentioned. You mentioned some great names just there moments ago. Whether it's whether it's Luke or Ray Miller, and and now we're talking about about Labuse. And yet, these are fierce competitors, some of the hardest people you'll ever meet as far as to beat and very hard racers. And yet, you have this community that will step up and, and stand by and give you support when you need it. Yeah, Luke at um, This Is Elite Bracket Racing, you know, they have just this enormous uh, learning, you know, program. And Luke's always been super helpful when I text him and, and need help you know, even if it is at midnight and Ray <laughs> Jr.'s like a, or Ray the third is like a brother to me. So he's always been willing to help. His dad helped us with weather on some, or a Saturday night. Cause we had a, you know, big swing in weather. Um, and then, you know, Labuse was, he was, at, you know, I've run him probably 11 or 12 times within the past two or three years. <laughs> and I can, I have never beat him. And then the we had just a super crappy run for both of us. We were both thirty on the tree. Yeah, the numbers. The, looking back at that run, the numbers are bizarre. It, it's just not a, a race that either one of us should have had. And uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I guess that was my lucky round with him. Um, 
and then he stuck by me the rest of the weekend and you know he's been helping us with our super gas car a little bit this year and since we've been kind of struggling a little bit with it yeah he came up to me in the finals of super comp and he was like how you feeling and i was just we were up in the lanes and i was like not real good but we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna get through this and he was like it's done that's it it's just it's done and i was like okay let's do this and listen, uh, maybe that there are times I think for all of us in some in some respect when when you need somebody to look you in the eye and kind of tell you, yeah, like this is just go take it, just go take it, don't even worry about it, right? Yeah. So the the super gas race to me was a lot different than the super comp race in terms of you know I look at some of the packages you had in the in the super comp car, some really tight what 10, 12, 13 packs. The super gas race, like you said, the Laboose run was way out in left field, but there was there was a little bit more intrigue in that one, right? The super comp race seemed more straightforward, and super gas seemed like you really had to kind of navigate your way through it. Yeah, it was. Um, trying to think. It just everybody that I ran, like I ran Dwayne before last year um, at four cars at Norwalk. It was last year or the year before. And he's always, you know, always been on his game. And uh, it's, it was just uh, everybody in Supergas, I always feel like, is a, is a really good racer. Yeah, and in Supercomp, too. Um, so... Yeah, it's a, it's just a heck of a thing to to see somebody put it together in this way. And when you when you kind of fought yourself to sleep on on Saturday night, and and I'm guessing that was a bit of a struggle because you had to have been keyed up, right? I mean, just just the amount of racing you had done that day. Uh, even like you said, you laid down at two o'clock in the morning, but I'm sure you didn't you didn't go immediately to sleep. What was the what was kind of the last thought you had before you before you started counting Z's? Um. I could either win both of these <laughs> and be the first girl in history to do it, or it could be really devastating and I could lose, you know, lose both of them. Yeah, and that's that's a reality that we've seen happen. I mean, this more than a thousand national events has only happened thirty times, and there's been far more people who have had the chance to do it very late in a day and not finished it up. And that leads me to my next question, which is. How in the hell do you maintain your composure? You win the first one, and then you immediately have to just not forget about it. You tell me what you did, because how do you prevent any sort of emotional letdown from getting the first one before you have to go run for the second one? Right. Um, well, after I've won, you know, it's been so long since I've, I've won a national event at all. So I was super stoked about that, and then they, they told us up in the lanes, you know, if you win, go right, and if you lose, go left. And I'm like, well if I win, I still need to go left because I need to go get my other <laughs> car and get back up there. And, um, so, you know, I, I came off the left side and there was nobody over there to give us a time slip and dad needed a time slip to kind of go off with weather and what I was on in the super comp car. And so he, had, he left the trailer and I was like, we got to get back up there for the other car. Pat was just sitting up there and I felt bad, you yeah. know, sitting up there making him wait. Um, but I, I needed a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, yeah. But he was very nice, and he was like, you know, just take your time. No worries. And what did you, wh- wh- when you took your minute, when you took your minute, what did you do? Or what did you say to yourself? Or what did you use as a device to kind of just chill out and get ready for the next one? Um, you know, I was kind of like, well, I, I at least have one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so if the second one doesn't go like it needs to, then at least there's one. But um, I, I just I've never won in Supergas, so I just 
our man, I wanted that win so bad in Supergas. And you're a three category winner now, which which again we start to talk about these things that place you in, in more rare and rare company. And when we get into the multi class winners, uh, the the list shrinks very very quickly. And and it's just to me, it's just great to see your name in there now. And the way you did it to get both of these was uh, was something else. And, you know, I think what else is cool people may not know is, I mean, you raced junior dragsters with Blake Alexander. Blake won Nitro Funny Car. And, and you guys go way back. Oh, we do. Um, we both raced at Bristol for, you know, years and juniors. And I went up there to see him after he had won. And that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. And it's it's another kind of connection in this sport that, that goes – back to to the to the very roots for both of you which i thought was great to be able to share you know this particular day that means and as much to you as it meant to him right and and to get to be able to kind of have that full circle moment as somebody knew as a kid is uh, it's gonna be pretty neat yeah i think um I, i'm getting so old now at this point people don't realize <laughs> you that, <be> both. <laughs> that i actually raced juniors <laughs> <laughs> well look and and the last the last question i'll leave you with is you know you race juniors with your dad and you're racing these cars with your dad and you're winning national events still and like you said it's not always an easy day at the racetrack so what keeps that glued together because I raced with my dad for years and and I didn't I didn't so much as win anything but I had the time of my life before I decided that that, that my path was a microphone not a steering wheel but there are you know not every day is winning two national events so what keeps you guys so tightly bonded together um you know, after we used to fight a lot in juniors, and we probably <laughs> fought a lot in big cars, and uh, too. But we, I think, uh, as the older I've gotten, and the harder we, you know, the harder we've realized that it is to to even win even a local bracket race at this point. Um, you know, he always says, if you're not in it, you can't win it. So. We just keep going, keep trying. <laughs> well, your uh, your going and trying have yielded uh, incredible results, and uh, congratulations on behalf of all of us that are fans of this sport for doing what you did last weekend. Uh, was a great moment, not only for you, but I think for drag racing in general. And um, you know, I think as as corny as it is to say. You know, there are very few firsts left for women in drag racing. It's it's a it's a good thing and it's a bad thing, right? That number of people that can say they were the first to do something, even as a female racer, is kind of shrinking because we've had so much success over the years. And to be the first woman <clears throat> to get on this list is, I know it's a prideful thing for the whole sport, but um, I, I hope it is a very prideful thing for you as well. Absolutely, it is. I wish they'd let us start running three classes. <laughs> <laughs> you and Aaron Stanfield will be the first in line for that, I think. That kid wants to drive everything as well. So, hey, Lauren, uh, have a great continued success this weekend. I hope you win. I uh, hope you win every dollar you can win there and clean their, clean their pockets out. Good luck on your final round appearance that's coming up in the Super Comp race and uh, kick some ass for the rest of the week. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. She's Lauren Freer, winner of Super Gas and Super Comp at the Summit Racing Equipment Nationals. When we come back, we'll have another female winner in drag racing. Two-time top field champ Brittany Force will be on right after this. All right, so we're back with our next guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider, none other than two-time and defending top field world champion Brittany Force. Brittany, how you doing? Great. Thanks for having me. I should have added two-time ESPY nominee as well, which we'll get to here in a couple of minutes. But uh, before we get really into depth on that, it's it's a great honor, right? I mean, you're in really good company for this nomination. 
Oh, it really is. It's this is huge. Um, it's it's such an honor, um, you know, just to be recognized uh, for best driver, and that's because of. Um, you know, our, our, our championship season we had last year with this Monster Energy Flavor Pack team, you know, we were pretty solid all the way through the years. We, you know, hit a couple bumps in the road, sure. but we recovered from it, and we ended up winning a championship. So it's because of that that we are at this point of a SB nominee. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and, and we'll, we'll kind of double back on that point in a few minutes. But, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about um, to start with here is, is when I look at your career, I can almost see it in like three phases we have that phase up to 2017 the first championship and then we have that phase between 17 and 22 and now we're in this this third phase in my mind of 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 a two-time world champion moving ahead and i'm wondering was that second championship to a degree in that period between let's call it 2018 to 2021 was that a more difficult period for you career-wise than even the first part of your career before getting the first one um, I would definitely say, yeah, if you're looking, if you're separating it by chapters, yeah. um, yeah, that was definitely a little bit tougher that, that, that second, everything that came wrapped in, in that yeah. handful of years from 18, you know, up until we won that championship. Um, I came off, you know, in 17, we won our first championship. I was with a completely different team back then yep. and, um, came out to the first race. We wrecked in 2018. It was the first real serious wreck I've had in my entire career and really coming back from that was one of the difficult most difficult things I've ever done in my career even comparing it to that round in 2017 in Pomona against Richie Crampton (laughs) for the championship I mean putting those two on a scale of difficulty level I still believe that coming back from a wreck like that was more of a challenge for me and uh, you know we came out I had two weeks to recover and got back out to Phoenix and and I knew I was going to get back in the seat I knew that was my plan but you know those thoughts always pop in your head of gosh this is absolutely crazy like my body still hurts from my wreck and is this, is this stupid? Like, what are we doing out here? <laughs> right. And it's like, right when I got back with my team, got in the car and got, you know, my belts pulled down. Um, I'm very much a person who likes to visualize things, mm-hmm. physically sit in the seat, pull my belts down, visualize making a run before actually making a run. And that really helped me. And then we went out and we ended up pointing five races later. So that was a really big moment in my career coming back from that and then winning on top of that. And then in, in 2019 was a, I felt like the world kind of flipped upside down again. Uh, my sister wasn't out there racing anymore. So yeah. it was me and my dad, which is a very scary thing when you think about <laughs> it. <laughs> On the road, driving to, you know, and traveling yeah. together, dinners every night, heading out to the airport or the, the racetrack every day. And I didn't have my sister, which was really difficult because this is really such a male-dominated sport. It yeah. was nice to have my sister who also drove we could relate on that same level. So she wasn't there and a whole new sponsorship with a whole new team, advanced auto parts. And then David Grubnick, every single one of my guys came onto this team and, and it was, you know, losing, I don't want to say losing because, you know, in, you know, it's, it's business at the end of the it day. Is. And my old team moved somewhere else and I'm happy for them. I'm proud of them. We're still very close, but this new team came in and I'll never forget. Um, in 2019, I headed out to go get, fitted for my race car out in Indianapolis and I walked into the pits and everything was advanced auto parts red and I was standing there looking at 10 guys and they were strangers to me yeah and I remember in that moment it was just 
oh my gosh, I don't even know these people. Right. And I really wanted to cry. I think I went in my lounge and teared up because it was like, these are 10 strangers and now I'm going to put all my faith in these 10 guys to strap me into a race car, put together a safe race car and just send it down the road. And I don't even know what their first name is. So that was a really difficult moment for me. Yeah, that's a really, that's a kind of a wild perspective to think about it. Because I don't know, even I myself don't even think of it in that manner. But to your point, it's it is yeah. this this comfort and this confidence and this relationship that gets built among all of you on that yeah. team is not just you don't just flip a switch and have it. Yeah. And and lucky for me, we fell right into this yeah. routine. We fell right into this really a really solid great relationship, team relationship. Like I've never experienced ever out in drag racing and David Grubnick as the lead um, he really just this team he values their opinions and everything they say he asks for advice I mean going into qualifying okay this is what's on the line should we do this or should we do this A or B and yeah. we, it's a, it's a team decision when we go out and qualify and, and you know going we're, ch- we're you know chasing wins whatever it is um, we're all involved and I've never seen anything like that and we have these team meetings at the end of the week okay where did you know where can you improve next weekend what are your strengths weaknesses i mean we really sit down and it's very vulnerable for all of us um you know about your weekend and and whether you did excelled or you screwed up we sit there and talk about it but that makes us so much stronger so winning a championship last season with that group of guys and it was a first championship for david grubnick max savage and pretty much every single one of those guys it was a very special one i i mean you can't beat your first championship, but doing that, being able to repeat it and do it a second time was, I mean, just incredible. It is. And it, Nothing and like it, it. No, and, and it, you know, it does, it changes and adds to the legacy and arc of, of not only your career, but all everybody involves career. And I'm wondering, like, when you won the, when you won the championship in 17, was there a part of, of Brittany in 2017 that thought, okay, now we're, now we're rolling. Like, I got the first one. Now we're now we're gonna go on a run. Like it, it seems like a natural. It seems like a natural thing for anybody that that again. You worked for years to get it, and you got it. And it's like, did you think that it was gonna be less than five years before you got the next one? I don't know what I thought. I mean, yeah. especially being the first female after thirty five years. Yeah. I I knew in that <laughs> moment it's not going to be another thirty five years. <laughs> right. I mean, I didn't know if it would be me. Yeah. That was the goal. But um, you know, looking at at, at that championship it was yeah obviously it pushes you now you want to do another one but it was already such a monumental thing yeah that might just be the only championship in my career i mean winning championships is so difficult i mean it takes every person being perfect uh, almost every time you go down the racetrack and um it's not easy to do so it's like you look at that and you're very proud and and that might be the only one which i would be proud of but obviously you use it as motivation like oh gosh that that was so great that feeling that year all of it you want to do it again and then when I got with this team like I said we connected very quickly I mean right after testing I went in and it's like this is my group of guys I wouldn't change them for the world and then we went out that year in 2019 and it was David Grubnick we are chasing a championship we are going to win a championship and we did it just a few years later it is uh it's a great thing you know and and one of the 
one of the interesting things my first year like working on the tv crew was was 2018 and we got to the last race in pomona and and i was talking to todd venny who you know and and todd's been around a million years and he looked at me he said he said think of this as like the last day of of senior year of high school like it's never going to be like this again i said what are you talking about he said well you know not everybody's coming back next year like somebody's going to go maybe take another job or somebody's going to go do something and it really struck me in that moment that i just kind of figured oh my god this is permanent like look at all of us we're this great team and no one's nothing's ever going to change and that's something yeah. you on a small scale and, and you have great continuity in your group but on a small scale you have to deal with that every year as well right just when you think oh this is perfect it's never going to change inevitably things change yeah it is and that, that is one of the the <clears throat> tough parts about the job is and again it's hard for it to get personal you know you grow so attached yeah. to these people they're your teammates the people you trust like i said they're strapping you in every single run and i can't look down and see if i'm strapped in correctly i could feel that i have two layers of gloves on so yeah. i'm just hoping that we did it right. Yeah, right and 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 that goes for you know these guys putting tires on the car working on the car and Grebnik doing a tune-up that gets the car down the track safely. So you become really attached to these people. They are my family. They're my, my brothers on the road. And, yes, it, it is a scary thing every year when it's like, oh, are we going to make changes? Are people moving around? Because right now, this would be the, the – the t- this team that I'm with right now, I want to end my career with them. Yeah. They're that incredible. They're, they're just – they're my team. When we talk about this year and, and we know, you know, like every, every good crew chief – works for the next step forward and, and we've been talking to, to David about it all season long we know that you're sitting forth in the points there's no big problems here but he is working on yeah. something that he wants to use to take your team to the next level especially when it comes to the end of the year when we get in the countdown and for you the the what I kind of see is a calmness in you and I, I just the way that the way that you speak to us when we when we talk to you the way that kind of your mannerisms are you're jamming with Antron on the stage at the pre-race um would Brittany Force in 2019 be as kind of settled and calm with a period of mechanical experimentation than she is in 2023? Oh, uh, probably not. No, not with a whole new group of people. Yeah. I would, I mean, yeah. I'd probably sit there and say, uh, yeah, sure, let's do it. But I'll tell you right now, Grubnik, uh, are you sure? Like, there are sure? moments when, yeah. when, when we are testing things and he's like, okay, like just even in the warm up, um, like, like I said, this off season, we did a lot of testing. Yeah. We knew it was going to take us a long time until yeah. not a long time, but we knew it was going to take us a while until sure. we figured the car out and we'll do some, um, <clears throat> I mean, just in the, in the pits getting ready to warm up and David Grubnick will say something to me like, okay, um, this might not work. It might take a few tries. And I'm like, okay. And so yeah. we get in, get in, get in the car, we get ready to start up. And then David Grubnick has his spot where he stands every single time. And when I see him back up 10 feet, I'm like, David, what are we doing right now? Like, you know, I told you we're testing something and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, well, I'm the one in the car. Yeah, right. <laughs> what yeah. do you mean? And he's like, no, 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 we're okay. We're, I, I, we're good. I promise. I just wanted to back up in case something crazy happened. I'm like, okay, thanks. Yeah, I can't great. back up in the car. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and that's, and again, it goes back to that factor you talked about in, in 19 walking in there going, man, like, can I trust and, and who do I trust? And, and is it going to be there? And obviously it has matured itself into, uh, into one of the great, you know, groups of racers out there. And, you know, when we look at, you know, we look at, everybody's individual performance over the course of a season and we look at it and even a larger scale than that but it it does seem to me just watching you I mean the 21 light was just 
nasty. I mean, that was a nasty, nasty thing you did on the starting line there. And when we look at that's not something we don't expect anymore, right? We we don't we don't get surprised by that as much. Maybe we would have in 2016. Maybe we would have in 2017. And how much of that is due to one your own your own personal growth, and two, how much of that is due to that factor we keep talking about with just these people you're surrounded with? Um, it's a combination of everything. It's, um, going up there and being in the right mindset, having that confidence, having absolutely no doubt come in your head, but then also know that you're going to have a car that's going to run well. And you have this team around you that supports you, whether you screw up or you do great and vice versa. I I support them, you know, and David Grubnick every single weekend, but it's a combination of, of all of it. You know, we, we do, we have good weekends and we have bad, and even me, I have weekends where I'm terrible. Well, that's every race driver and team. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about how you recover from it and how you, you know, get back on your feet and put it behind you. But that's, that's another difficult thing in drag racing is when you do screw up, how do you come back from it? You know, we, we hear the word fun uh, used at some points, and, and sometimes it makes me cringe. I'm not saying you use it, but I'm saying I hear people use it in a context that's kind of strange to me in that, of course, this is uh, a much more entertaining job than being an accountant, uh, your job specifically. But I have, to, I have to wonder that balance of fun versus showing up to do a job and showing up to be a professional, showing up to win and win championships as you've done twice. So tell me about that fun balance. Is the fun... Is the fun what happens before and after the race is, uh, is happening, or is the fun actually in the moment? Um, it's with this team again. It, we have a unique, um, just the way we all work together. It's very unique, and again, it's it's all structured by David Grubnick, yeah. and he very much believes we're out, and, and we all believe we we all agree on the same thing. We will make sacrifices if it means, you know, winning and doing well and winning championships. And we're out there. We're, yes, you, there's, you want to go out and after a good day, you want to party. But for us, it's no, the work's not done. We still got to get up tomorrow and, and, you know, finish qualifying or we're going out testing tomorrow, whatever it is. But we're out there to work and do a job. Yes, in the moment of it all. We still laugh. Sure. We ha- we do have a good time, but we're not out there to have a good time. We're out there to work hard and win. And if we win on Sunday, yes, we will all celebrate and go out and have a good a good evening together. We we always do some yeah. kind of team dinner. But I mean, David Grubnick's pretty strict in our pits, and it's nothing that we dis- you know we stand there right with him. Right. Um, there's certain times where he's like, you know what, you guys. Um, I don't want to say the word slacking, but you know, you guys have been all been struggling a little bit and, uh, music is in our pit. Um, it's an earned, it's something earned. So we're not going to have music. We need to keep, you know, making sure we're focused on, you know, everybody doing their job. So no music today. And it's just dead quiet in the pits. And I swear, I'm like, this is way worse. Now it's just like (laughs) wheels are turning in my head, at least giving music to calm down. But he's very much like, we are a racing team. We're a professional racing team. What does that look like? And, um, you know, he stands by that because at the end of the day, we want that win. And look, that's something to me that that I've consciously been trying for for several years to get across to fans to a degree because I really don't think, and I'm not saying this to take a shot at our fans, but it's just that it's very difficult for us to project this to them. But what you, the story you just told us, is a perfect example. This mm-hmm. is this is a professional sport that is operated in a professional manner, and and mm-hmm. yeah, of course, we see people in the winter circle having fun and everything, but. At the in the moment and in that role that David Grubnick has as a coach, 
these are coach decisions, right? These this guy is he's the mm-hmm. whatever you call him, the general manager, the coach. And mm-hmm. so that dynamic of not just the team having this this good relationship and being close, but being led. That's that's mm-hmm. the big thing to me. Like these crew chiefs are leaders beyond mechanics. Yeah, they are. And we all look up to David Grubnick and and really we we look at each other as well. Like we are all role models for each other. Um in 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 everything we do, even if it's away from the track, when yeah. we go out that night, we're not, you know, yes, like I said, I don't want to sound boring, but we're not out there to party. And we will go out and have an evening and, and have sure. dinner, but we're not out there to, to, to you know, yeah, just burn the, burn the town down. And, yeah. and party. Yeah. yeah, we're out there to do a job. And, and that test is more important than anything is, is you know, the ultimate goal, that, that championship at the end of the year. And we think it, it starts from, you know, day one in Pomona, all the way through and you know we represent john force racing and all of our sponsors and and whether we're out or in our pits um you know we we wear that with pride one of the things that i think is so impressive to me about your fan base is you know we always have great video of you guys signing autographs out there in the pits and and of course we always tout that drag racing has this great open pit policy which is fantastic for us i know at times it must make you want to jump off the top of the trailer but but (laughs) the open pit policy is great for the fans but man, are you often surprised at how wide your fan base is? Because you know we see everything from the young girls that are racing junior dragsters, or even trying to get into that realm that that really idolize what you're doing and what you represent to them. And we see dudes that are you know that are graybeards hanging out over there, as cheering as loud as the uh-huh. as the young girls are. So does that kind of blow you away at times? It is because my fan base is so widespread. I have, you know, a lot of fans that came from my dad who have been, you know, watching my dad for years and naturally they just came over because I have the force name. I'm in the force pits. So I was lucky to get them. But being a female, um, I got all a bunch of younger um, girls, younger and girls my age that came in and, and they're interested in me because I'm a female in this male dominated sport and they like that that it, that stands out and then i also have this group of guys who offer me mar- marriage proposals um, at <laughs> oh, the racetrack oh jeez so, louise on, on behalf of all of us of <laughs> on behalf of all of us i apologize for them yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's great it's great and 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 overall to me it's it speaks to the spectrum of the sport too i mean because we we just we appeal to such a wide swath of people it's it's amazing and to me this brings mm-hmm. me to the sb conversation because it's your second time being nominated um you're you're nominated with kyle larson max verstappen and joseph newgarden and mm-hmm. we haven't been able to pull it off yet as drag racing but I by know. god but by god this is our year right this is our year Gosh, I hope so. I mean, it, it's tough to look at and think. My sister Ashley was nominated. My dad, who's won sixteen championships, has been nominated. <laughs> How did he not win that? Is my question. So I know it's going to be. I mean, we're up against them. Um, I mean, you're up against IndyCar, Formula One, and NASCAR. Yeah, uh, that is tough to do. But it's it, it really is an honor um, to be recognized next to these drivers, nominated next to them, and it's pretty cool that of to be, you know, in all the different series motorsports, uh, to be one of four drivers nominated, which is huge. And that really, I believe, elevates any try drag racing, you know, to, to put us right in that same category as them. So it, it really is an honor. I'm, I'm excited about it. It is my second time. And uh, yes, it would be awesome to pull it off. Uh, love to do that for NHRA, John First Racing, and, you know, my team and the fans. 
I think. Listen, I think in in terms of in terms of motorsports and racing, we we are the perpetual underdog, and I'm okay with that. I kind of like that spot, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think we can we can definitely mm-hmm. help rally the fan base to to push you ahead. One last thing I want to ask you about regarding this 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 nomination, and and as much as it is a driver of the year, it is also as you've said in other interviews, it's it's so much more than a, a, so much more like a team. It's more of a team, right? It's you mm-hmm. get the you get the glory as the person in the seat. You did the job to win the championship, but you always kind of honor your team, but. The other motorsports are endurance to some degree where, you know, whether mm-hmm. an F1 race is a fairly short affair, but but it's it's it starts and ends where our sport starts and stops over the course of a day. And it's so mm-hmm. much different than those types of racing. And I guess the mm-hmm. question I have for you is what how do we impress upon people the need to be perfect in a moment in drag racing? Because to me, that's the uh-huh. fascinating part, right? It's It's not necessarily you know, having 300 laps, it is, you have to be the best person four times in a row starting Mm -hmm. and stopping. Yeah, it really is. You have to be, everyone has to be perfect. The work they did on that car, the crew chief with the tune up, the driver in the seat, and you have to be perfect in that four seconds because we don't have laps to make up for our mistake. Okay. We screwed up, but let's make it up. It's once you bring that car to the line, that's it. There's no going back. You just hope you get there first. And you do. You have to be so perfect. Sometimes you get lucky and you might get away with something, but that doesn't happen very often. No. And that's to me one of the most compelling part of the sport. The movie stops very quickly. It either has a very happy ending or the the movie stops way shorter than you wanted it to on a on a Sunday morning. Well, Brittany, thanks so much for taking some time today. Uh, Congratulations to your team and and to you for the nomination on the SB and continued success this year, I'm sure. And uh, it's very fun for us to watch this evolutionary process uh, that David Grubman is going through and that that you're able to carry out on the racetrack because we start to see it. We start to see the sunlight poke through the clouds a little bit uh sometimes mm-hmm. with this car this year on the performance side and uh it's going to be great once the whole thing's sorted out thanks again thank you so much and back here with some final thoughts to close out this episode of the nhra insider pretty unique group of guests i think you know we talk about these accomplishments in different ways and and they all boil down to the same thing which is the which is the desire and the want and the wherewithal to complete them. Uh, for Blake Alexander, it's been uh, years since he last won. He picked up those two victories in 2018. His heart has always been in the funny car category, and he has taken a winding road um, that has taught him some hard lessons, has taught him some valuable lessons, and ultimately has taken him to the spot he's in right now, which is uh, one of um, hungry satisfaction. And the one is not going to be enough for that guy, nor for his team. For Lauren Freer, it has been a life in this sport. It has been a junior dragster competitor. It has been a graduating through the ranks, and it is to do what is in so many ways the ultimate accomplishment for any NHRA sportsman racer, which is to win two categories on the same day at the same event. And for Brittany Force, it is a second nomination for the Driver of the Year ESPY Award. It is a nomination that puts her, again, with Joseph Newgarden, Max Verstappen, and Kyle Larson, three globally known, globally respected racers, and it places her right in their company and right in their midst. And as a sport, we got to step up and do as best we can to support her and try to drive this uh, to drive this ESPY award, something that no drag racer has been able to to accomplish the feat yet. And I say yet because much like Blake Alexander's path to a funny car victory, there is an inevitability to it in my mind. 
And that inevitability doesn't mean it's going to happen today or tomorrow. But as a sport, we are one of persistence. We do not give up on things easily, nor do we let go of things easily, nor do we roll over. So let's all step up, support Brittany in that quest for the ESPY this year. And uh, what a great show. Three fun conversations, a little bit longer than normal, but I hope you've enjoyed it. I certainly did enjoy uh, speaking to Blake, Lauren, and Brittany, and I look forward to being back with you. No Insider next week. Going to take Fourth of July week off, and then we're going to gear up for our pre-Dodge Power Brokers Mile High National shows the week show the week following. So enjoy the Fourth of July. Enjoy. If you're going to your local drag strip, do it. If you're not going to your local drag strip this weekend, do it. They're open. Support them. Buy a hot dog, buy a ticket, and enjoy some hot rods going down the strip. I'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And thanks for being part of the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. I'm Brian Loans. See you soon.